Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, where we talk about the real estate market and the people connected by it. Our goal is to empower you to make informed decisions and provide context for the real estate world around you. We hope that with every episode, you will become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Hi there, I'm Ryan Berlin, Rennie's Senior Economist and Vice President of Intelligence. And as usual, I'm joined by Ryan Wise, Rennie's market intelligence manager and lead analyst within our intelligence division. In this episode, we'll spend some time discussing how 2023 wrapped up for residential real estate in Metro Vancouver and hint, hint, it wasn't a great finish to the year. But first, we're pleased to be joined by Diana Sposato, one of our managing brokers here at Rennie, who's going to tell us what it is that a managing broker does and deals with each and every day. Diana, welcome. Thank you for having me, Ryan and Ryan. (laughs) Thanks for being here. So as we sit here recording this episode, I'm looking outside and I'm really feeling the winter blahs and I'm feeling like I need a vacation, but I do not have one planned. So please tell me one of you, you two does. Yeah, I do. Um, You know, looking at all this rain, I'm excited to next month go to a desert and enjoy some warm, dry weather down in Palm Springs. Good for you. Amazing. It's going to be great. A lot of pool time around a golf, maybe the zoo. It's going to be good. Don't forget your sunscreen. Yes. Don't forget your sunscreen. I hope that you use it. Last year, at this time, I went down to Palm Springs and it was freezing. It was like, it was two degrees. I went outside and sat by the pool and ordered a pina colada or something. Cause (laughs) I was like, I just need to feel like I'm really like on vacation, but it wasn't great. Anyway, I think it's going to be better for you this year. It'll be great. What about you, Diana? Yeah. I'm heading down to Central America to Belize. I am actually very lucky that my sister lives there with my nephew. So it'll be very good to see them catch up. And uh, they live on a tiny island called Ambergris Key. Uh, the main town is called San Pedro. And for any Madonna fans out there, uh, her song La Isla Bonita uh, is named after the song. So the first line of the song is, last night I dreamt of San Pedro. And that is the town where my sister lives. Ooh, very Ooh. exciting. Yeah, yeah it'll I be like fun. That. It'll be fun. It'll be hot. A little warmer than Palm Springs, Probably. but uh, I'll, I'll send some of that warm weather your way. <laughs> Super. Excellent. You get a break from work. And speaking of work, your work history is quite interesting. You were in Kelowna for, as a realtor for seven years before you joined Rennie. Was it last year, 2023? May 1st of 2023. May 1st. Yeah. So not even a year. It feels like, it feels longer in a good way, but it feels <laughs> <Yeah>. longer. <laughs> During your time as a realtor in Kelowna, so it was seven years, uh, you won the McDonald Realty President's Roundtable Award every year. What was that award given out for? I did. Thank you for having me again. And yeah, seven years in Kelowna as a realtor. And the President's Award was issued to uh, basically top earning realtors throughout the entire McDonald Realty company, which is about a thousand realtors in Kelowna and in the lower mainland. That's amazing. And Mm -hmm. to just step into that. So you were not a realtor prior to that car becoming one. Correct. Yes. And you have work experience in a variety of other organizations and uh, sectors, including the Canadian military, the RCMP, uh, Warner Brothers. Yes, I have a, a colorful background of experience, which I'm super grateful for. Uh, started out in law as a paralegal, so I have a good foundation of you know legal principles that took me into a career essentially in contract management. 
working for a company that designed and manufactured body armor for the Canadian military and RCMP, managing all those uh, production contracts, uh, and also working in the film industry. So representing Warner, Warner Brothers, uh, had the pleasure of being involved in production from start to finish, drafting all the contracts for actors, producers, directors, and that sort of thing. Ooh, that's really cool. Very cool. Oh. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Uh, also spent some time working for Fortis BC, uh, running their procurement department and also managing uh, some pretty big projects for them, including their uh, smart meter implementation program. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. That's a very, yeah, as you said, colorful <laughs> background requiring a lot of different skill sets, I imagine. Absolutely. Which then you would have brought with you as a realtor and now as a managing broker where you do need to be something of a renaissance woman. So what does the role, I I think, you know, I would benefit from from sure. hearing your answer on this and I'm sure many listeners would too. Yeah. We, we often have um, realtors or advisors on the podcast who talk about their experience in the market but you have a different role. You're a managing broker. What does your role look like and what is the the role of a managing broker more generally? Sure. The role of a managing broker is actually defined in the Real Estate Services Act and we are responsible for managing all the activities of the brokerage. So all the advisors work, uh, all the staff. Um, Traditionally, it is the leadership and maintaining the legal and ethical standards, uh, obviously while contributing to the brokerage's overall success. We are responsible for ensuring legal compliance and ensuring clients are satisfied with our services, building relationships, implementing technology, uh, while creating a positive work environment for everyone involved. Practically, we are the clause writer, the forms manager, the compliance checker, the chief strategist, business development, shoulder to cry on, and essentially every part of a deal from beginning to end, from when you're first meeting with a client to the completion date and often beyond, uh, the managing broker is often involved. It doesn't strike me that this is a nine to five type of... uh job you're you're using your left brain your right brain potentially at all hours of the day and i know here at rennie we have split up our managing broker duties um so what how does that work and what are you focusing on sure so um traditionally the managing broker role as i said was all the things and as the landscape is changing and we have so many new rules and regulations and compliance issues we are recognizing that one person cannot manage all of those tasks effectively and deliver that service to our advisors. Uh, So Rennie is trailblazing, I think, in this area, and we are Mm. splitting the traditional managing broker function into two, uh, with half of it uh, going to legal and compliance and half of it going to business development and business coaching, how to build your business, how to get you from one deal a month to two deals a month. Uh, I am on the legal and compliance side, so I will be focused on helping advisors, keeping in compliance with the regulator, all the rules, which forms you need, contractual issues, legal clauses, uh, money laundering, and that whole bucket of you know, the, the ongoing compliance landscape in real estate. Yeah, and there's been a lot for you as somebody who's more on the legal and compliance side a lot of new policy initiatives that have come down in the past. I mean, I want to say, I mean, the latter half of 2023, there was a lot, but really over the past two, three, five years, there've been a lot of changes introduced 
into our uh, into our market uh, at all levels of government, so federal, provincial, regional, municipal. And even the regulators fairly new with BCFSA. That's true too. Yeah, yeah, so definitely a spotlight being shone on the industry. So we're going to have to get uh, tighten up things and, and make sure we're in compliance. I think the landscape really started to change around 2018, where we started seeing a lot of new rules with dual agency coming into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of realtors leaving the business because of these changes. And I think I've seen just a progressive incline in terms of regulatory requirements. And just to name a few over the last few years, the foreign buyer tax came in. Mm-hmm. Um, so having to have an understanding of who your clients are and whether this tax applies to them, then the government took a step ahead with a foreign buyer ban and what those exemptions might be. Uh, the focus right now is disclosures and the timing of those disclosures. And the regulator uh, recently did an audit and determined that that was a number one finding that was in non-compliance over a number of real estate brokerages across the province and issued the most fines in that regard too. So when we have a new uh, client, we are expected to disclose our type of relationship we're going to be providing them from the outset of that relationship. I think the biggest thing that is uh, impacting our industry right now is uh, money laundering and proceeds of crime. Uh, It is a grossly underreported segment of our industry. We do have a legal obligation and a legislative requirement to report any suspicious transaction to FinTrack, which is a federal um, transaction analysis uh, center that looks at suspicious transactions and then they determine whether or not there's any money laundering or terrorist financing involved. Um, so it's actually really interesting, but it is very, very onerous. Uh, brokerages are required to have a complete compliance program around all of this and the fines being issued right now are astronomical. Mm. Um, Kelowna brokerage was recently fined $150,000 for not reporting. RBC was fined 7.4 million for underreporting, and you can kind of get the sense of you know the urgency around this. So Dan, I think you have an example of a fairly large fine being levied against a Vancouver realtor. Um, what were the circumstances around that issue there? Yeah, so local brokerage, a couple of brokers were involved, as were the managing brokers, and essentially what happened was a property was sold where someone was impersonating the seller of that home. So the actual seller lived overseas and was not even aware that the property was being sold. And, uh, you know, the transaction was not reported to FinTrack. um, So they got substantial fines for that transaction. That is terrifying. Now, assure me that this does not happen very often. It's not happening very often in British Columbia yet. I think, you know, as criminals become more sophisticated, we are going to see more and more of this, which uh, makes it crucial that we as advisors understand the rules around money laundering and uh, terrorist financing, how to identify your clients so that we're not Mm -hmm. falling into this trap. It has been happening quite a bit in Ontario, um, and hopefully, you know, we can kind of curb this behavior with more education to our advisors. So are you taking extra steps right now to arm our advisors with the tools they need? 
We are. We have developed uh, an entirely new training program uh, dedicated to suspicious transactions, money laundering, terrorist financing. So it is mandatory for every employee, not only our advisors, but also our employees. They're going to be getting training on how to identify suspicious transactions and how to identify clients. We are currently uh, required to identify clients using their identification, whether it be a driver's license or a passport. Um, but we've now implemented technology that has facial recognition uh, capabilities so that we can be 100% certain that the person who is on the driver's license is actually the person that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Because in some instances, uh, this person is not present. Maybe we've received a phone call from somebody living mm -hmm. overseas. Uh, so some of this technology is going to help us meet our uh, anti-money laundering program requirements. So yeah, all of this really underscores the importance of your role in the landscape of real estate transactions. And, and that's to obviously support realtors and equip them with the, the skill sets and the knowledge that they need to ensure that the market is operating the way it should. And I think ultimately then this is all about consumer protection, right? And Absolutely. ensuring all the parties involved are, are fairly and properly represented. Mm -hmm. And that's at the crux of a lot of the legislative changes and regulatory changes is to protect the consumer. Uh, consumers are becoming more and more aware of sort of, you know, the bad things going on out there and the expectation is higher that we know how to protect them from that. And that circles back to why we're splitting that traditional role of managing broker because one person cannot, it's not sustainable in, in the current landscape and the future state of the landscape for the managing broker to be all the things knowledgeable and all the things. So we have separated it to provide our advisors with the training that they need and the support that they need to navigate these waters. That's great. Yeah, I really appreciate that. That uh, elucidation of, of how we've structured things here and, and why we're doing it. So... I just want to now sort of zoom out from your very complicated micro world <laughs> to what is a complicated, more macro world and sort of speaking to the broader economy and the real estate market here in Metro Vancouver. So, uh, Ryan, yes, Ryan wise, <laughs> um, Let's start with uh, the December data that came in recently. Mm -hmm. um, where's our market at? What what was notable in, in that batch of uh, data that was yeah, released? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not an Intel podcast without some numbers, right? We need numbers. We need <laughs> yeah. numbers. Um, so not a lot was notable. Uh, December was a pretty quiet month. Sales well below average, even by December standards. Same with new listings. But I would say the thing I think is most noteworthy from last month um, was where inventory finished, which was around 12,500 homes for sale. That was 8% above the long run average, um, which again is fairly noteworthy given that November was the first time we'd seen above average inventory in many years. Uh, and so it kind of sets us up in a very different position heading into 2024. So yeah, when I, when I hear that inventory is above the long run average, like 8% above, so not dramatically so. Mm -hmm. But we haven't spoken those words, again, outside of recently to a very small degree, in so many years. It's so strange to think about our supply environment as not being overly constrained. So what, what does that mean? How does that set us up for the first few months of this year? Yeah, so 
the typical pattern is in Q1 or the first few months of the year, inventory is that starts the year at its lowest point and rapidly expands through that first quarter. And we are recording this a few weeks into January and we've already seen that pickup. Um, so inventory today as a recording is higher than last year's month end, for example. And we mm -hmm. expect to see inventory to continue to increase. And so, you know, again, as I mentioned, sales have been below average and quite low for months now. Uh, basically the second half of last year in particular, slow sales. So when buyers, when they do come back, when they do decide to re-engage th with this market, we'll find they have a lot more options to choose from. Uh, and I think there's potential for more liquidity in the market when, when things do actually start to pick up. Uh, you know, probably a few months from now, I mm -hmm. think would be most likely, uh, there'll be more sort of inventory available for those potential buyers as they come back. Yeah, so more activity in the market, more listings right now, followed by, as we expect, more sales. Diana, that's going to make your world's going to activate probably a little bit more. We're expecting that. We're expecting that. But we're almost in novelty territory with the, with the additional inventory that we have mm -hmm. right now. So it's great. Yeah, we've seen some price declines over the last few months. Um, benchmark prices have been decreasing most of the past six months. We saw, again, fairly re uh, moderate price declines for benchmark prices for all mm -hmm. types in December between about a half percent and a percent. Um, and I think that larger inventory will sort of continue with a bit of downward pressure on prices. So even as the market does pick back up, because we're not in necessarily a, a supply constrained environment, I don't expect to see huge run-ups in prices like we did at the start of last year, even for example, or in 2021, early 2022. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. As we look back thinking that, if you look start to finish in um, 2023, prices overall actually rose. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like that because especially in the last few months, we've seen prices come down again since um, a couple of rate hikes in the uh, summertime from yeah. the Bank of Canada. So as we sort of reflect on 2023, we have full year data for that year. Where does it fit in? Like what kind of a year was it? It was almost identical in terms of sales to 2018 and 2019. So almost bang on 40,000 sales. So I'm trying to remember what I felt like back then. <laughs> it that... felt, I remember it feeling slow. And then I also remember the early part of 2020 before everything everything changed. Yeah. Uh, the market was picking back up. Those thought, first three months. Yeah, and we thought, yeah. oh yeah, here we go. We're coming out of this slow market. Um, so this time around, um, we are well below that long run average, which is about 51,000 sales. Um, and that's for, sorry, just to clarify it, we're talking about MLS sales here in broadly speaking, Metro Vancouver. Yes, exactly. So 2018, 2019 levels similar, but of course we've also grown as a region quite a bit since then. So you would expect all else being equal to actually see more sales, increasing sales counts. And of course we haven't seen that as uh, the high interest rate environment has really kept buyers on the sidelines. Yeah, definitely. And I think, as you said, you know, we're still a few months away before from sort of those, the, those, those factors that influence all markets, mm -hmm. like interest rates in particular, we're months away from those actually moving. And we did see mortgage rates come down a little bit towards the end of last year, fixed rates mm -hmm. on, on the back of bond yields that had fallen significantly. Um, and so some of that gap between mortgage rates and bond yields, 
uh, has closed, and even in the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. there have been some big announcement, big rate cuts from some of the big banks. But now we see bond yields creeping their way back up. So the story has not fully been written yet. Yep. So it's going to be, you know, this next year and the year after, we're going to be going through a market transition still, I believe. For sure. What are your thoughts on pent-up demand and it, as it pertains to sort of when we get that first rate cut announcement? <laughs> Great question. Yeah, so we we tried to measure this using per capita sales, so the, the number of sales relative to the population per thousand people. Um, and in the fall, it, there's always sort of the trick of when do you start measuring this, but if you compare uh, the last 18 months with the 18 months prior, with the 18 months prior, um, I think last fall we'd measured somewhere around six months worth of activity was in pent up demand. Yeah, wow. half a year's worth of activity. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's not insignificant. Yeah, it isn't. And these are people. So you, you know, as Ryan said, we've we've experienced over the last two years. So 2022 was a record year for population growth to that point. Last year surpassed it probably by 30%, whether you're looking at the full year numbers aren't in yet. That's why I say mm-hmm. probably, but um, we are, we have most of the data from last year. So whether it's, you know, we're talking about Canada or BC or Metro Vancouver, we added even more people last year than, than the year before or ever before that. And we have slowing sales. So we know that, and people need to be housed, right? So exactly. uh, the demand for housing is there, whether it's rental or ownership, people are, we've said this many times, They're getting married, they're getting divorced, they're having kids, they're downsizing, they're dying. You know, there's a lot of, there's a dynamism to the market that right now is um, a little bit muted. And every year we get a year older, even if the market's slow. And it just means that at some point, you know, purchases that weren't made or moves that weren't made ultimately will be. So um, I think we'll start to see... uh, you know, our forecasts don't point to 2024 being an overly robust year for sales. Sales coming in right around that long run average. Yeah, I think just we have it a little bit below just for context. A little below. Yeah. A little below. Right. So we're more, it's 25% more sales this year than last year. But um, we'll see the market gain momentum through the end of this year and then into 2025. What have you, does that jive with what Diana you're hearing from advisors, their expectations, their hopes? I think it does. I think it does. There's a lot of moving parts here. So it's hard to put the crystal ball on it as you are aware. I think, you know, from my perspective, it's a little more of, you know, less, less data driven, which is what you guys are doing, but a little bit more sort of you know, that gut feel being in the market, it's Mm -hmm. like real estate has its own intensity. You can feel Mm -hmm. it. Um, so what I've been hearing out there is, is kind of a a bit of a range of everything. Uh, in some cases on the listing side, it's kind of an all or nothing. Uh, we are looking at, uh, listings that are still getting multiple offers. And then we've got listings that are being canceled and relisted with price reductions, you know, two, three, four, and five times. So there is a bit of a a disparity of what's happening out there. I don't know that we'll achieve a bit more balance on the listing side, uh, but what we're seeing on the buyer side is more opportunity, obviously in some cases less multiple offers. Um, Yeah, it's it's an interesting landscape right now. And, And if I put my crystal ball on it, I think the second we have a rate cut announcement, it's going to be everyone back to the races. So yeah, I don't. all or nothing again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this goes back to why in this kind of a market where there's a lot of uncertainty and the path forward's uncertain and you have, 
you know, within a market, you have so many different nuances and contexts, whether you're selling or you're buying, like, as you said, some, exactly. some homes go uh, under multiple offers and others sit for months and months, and months. And it just, again, underscores the importance of having working with a trusted advisor exactly right? who's able to who's seen market cycles in the past mm-hmm. and can help you navigate uh, this this terrain absolutely before we wrap up uh, there was some news that dropped today yes as of recording big news big, big news, news. Mm-hmm. yes big news for for all of us um the federal government has announced a two-year cap on student permits so Rai, you have some details of this policy yeah so we went through this today and tried to sort of parse the language and some of the numbers and see if we could measure sort of what impact we expect it to have nationally and here in bc so some quick uh notes from that proposal or that legislation is Uh, They intend to limit the study permits issued in Canada in 2024 to 360,000 nationally. So for context, just under 600,000 were issued last year through November. We don't have December data yet. Wow. So essentially going back to 2018 levels, um, which is about a 35% decrease year over year. Yeah, that's that's, That's huge. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is a huge, that's not a sort of a, a ratchet it down type of approach. That yeah. is just like turn the, almost turn the taps off. Yeah. And so there's about 1 million international students living in Canada. About 200,000 of those are in BC. So you can expect uh, a pretty significant reduction. Not It's not that people are going to be kicked out of the country or anything like that, but as people graduate and move on, uh, we will be issuing fewer and fewer permits. Um, for people to come. The other interesting thing about this is they're gonna tie it to current population for how they distribute it across the country. So BC punches way above its weight in terms of the number of international students that come here. So we have less than 14% of the population, but around 20% of the international students. So the drop here is expected to be a lot larger as well as Ontario. Um, about 75% of international students are in BC and Ontario, which is astounding. Yeah, so not only are there just fewer permits being issued, even if that was done proportionally based on where international students are today, that, I mean, if that was the case, we would still see a decline, but we're, we're talking about those permits being issued based on our 14% share of population. Exactly. So the drop we can expect here in BC is from 111,000 through November of last year to probably just under 50,000 this year. So more like a 44% decline wow. in the number of permits issued year over year in BC. So that doesn't mean there will be 44% fewer students mm-hmm. uh, going to school here. Uh, again, they, they do multi-year permits. For the next year, you'll see 44% fewer new international students come to BC or fewer renewals, some mm-hmm. combination of the two. Uh, and overwhelmingly, about 60% of them in BC are in Metro Van. So you can do some math on this. So you can expect a de- if you expect a decline of 60,000 students, and on average, 2.5 live in a household. That's 24,000 households in the province. So if 60% of those are in Metro Van, that's about 16,000. I'm just using round numbers here which is 16,000 homes. That's more than the amount of rental construction we started in Metro Vancouver last year. 
Right. Yeah. So that reduction in student visas being issued at the national level and some rules around how they're distributed ultimately will result in housing demand that will be lower by about 16,000 units Mm -hmm. per year. Not obviously not right out of the gate. And our population is still growing, so housing demand will still grow, but we don't need to house the people that aren't here. And obviously, that is a big impetus to this policy announcement Mm -hmm. is matching um, people to housing. And so we will still grow this year, uh, but by less than we otherwise would have, by a pretty significant amount. And so when you look at this together with immigration, Uh, The numbers I read today was 1.25 million people still coming into Canada yearly and 300,000 new homes being built annually. So is this going to actually have an impact when you consider the two issues uh, at the same time? I mean, I think it's enough that it will have an impact. But again, ultimately, I don't think the supply is meeting demand. Agreed. And I think that you're going to see the impact, you know, distributed unevenly, right? I mean, it's going to impact places that international students go to school and not so much places where they don't. Right. And so it is, as you said, Ryan, that we're overweighted uh, versus our our population in international students. So wherever there are nodes of post-secondary education institutions, you're going to have more of an impact there. And, And just, you know, again, on the rental side, when you talk about vacancy rate of call it 1% or just sub 1%. New data is coming out any day now, but the latest we have, I think, says the vacancy rate in Metro Vancouver is 0.9%. Mm-hmm. That's a, an overly tight rental market, and we know that the majority of students will be renting, so it does just create a little bit of space there uh, on the rental side. So we'll see how it plays out. So we have a lot of fun recording these episodes, and we love talking real estate. And For the first time, we're going to open things up to you, our listeners, and we would love to answer your real estate questions. So going forward, you can email us at intel, that's I-N-T-E-L, at rennie.com, or you can leave a voicemail at the link in the podcast description, and we'll try to respond to your questions in future episodes. Yeah, there's a lot of things we like to share, but we'd love to hear what you want to hear about. Um, So feel free to reach out and let us know. Thank you for joining us on the Runny Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found at runny.com slash intelligence. To be the first to receive this information, register for intelligence updates.